everybody. Welcome back to the uh, TCP, that's Criminal Podcast with me, John Stamp. Before we get started, I really only have one thing to share because I read this this morning and it tickled me and it's put the put the day off on the right path. So I actually thought you might enjoy it. So let me dig up my phone. Um, so anyway, of course, you can probably imagine I get uh, alerts for different fun criminal stories, uh, book related stories, stuff like that. But I woke up this morning to this alert in my in my feed, and it was it's out of Toledo, Ohio. So shout out Toledo, you guys are gonna be proud of this one. Uh, a car thief foiled by a forklift driver. Now I don't know how versed you guys are in um, in breaking into cars. Uh, I will say from experience, not breaking into cars other than my own. And uh, also, well, while well, we're on the point. I did pride myself on being able to break into cars when I was a police officer because we still had Slim Jims back then. And I will say that I could get into a Honda within like a minute. Uh, not that, you know, there's some car thief out there being like, sucker, you, you know, thanks for the plane on the JV team. But um, but no, you get into like Chevys and like Lexuses, stuff like that, impossible. But Hondas would be really easy to steal. If I was a car thief, I would be stealing Hondas at least, you know, 15 years ago, I would have. But anyway. This guy was not that bright. He decided to break into a car in a junkyard. Um, also, another another note on the science of breaking into cars: you're not going to find very much cool stuff in uh, junkyard cars. They're they've already been stripped, and nobody's forgetting their iPhone or gun in a junkyard car. So anyway, he goes in, breaks into a car, and not even a good car. It was like an old Saturn or something in a uh, in a junkyard in Toledo, Ohio. And then he promptly um, wasn't. Did not have a situational awareness radar uh, tuned because he did not hear a forklift rolling up to take this particular car to the crusher. And uh, so he's all about his business, um, you know, trying to find the next 20 so he can go get some meth, I'm sure, whatever. And uh, the forklift driver rolls up, sees this dude in this car and um, brilliant on this forklift driver. And the news story doesn't go into it. But uh, instead of being like, hey, what are you doing breaking into my car? He just slid the forks underneath it and raised the thing 20 feet in the air and then called the cops. And um, apparently the dude breaking into the car was kind of scared of heights because he stayed there the entire time. So, but uh, that tickled me. And uh, and I thought it might uh, it might entertain you guys. So it's all on video. It's actually really good. It's out of, um, what did this come from? Catcountry1073.com, I guess. I don't know. I, don't, I have no idea. It just showed up on my feed, but a uh, great way to start a morning is hearing about a forklift driver foiling a crime uh, by a dumb criminal in the morning. So you're welcome. You can keep that and uh, go to Cat Country 1073 Toledo and find out more. Um, other than that, that is, that's it. Um, I told you guys, uh, uh, Overmatch, Ty Benhoff 2 is sitting in limbo. I have no idea what's going on with that. Um, so when I know, you'll know, and I'm just knocking out the new, uh, the new sci-fi book. I, uh, I've decided now that I'm into the sci-fi book, probably 20,000 words that I'm going to have to switch in between crime thrillers and sci-fi or fantasy or something like that. So I'm going to have to like cleanse the palate every time, just switch genres because it, uh, it feels good. Just kind of completely change reality a little bit. So yeah, more as the, that develops, uh, I will let you know. Anything new comes up on Ty Benhoff's new new uh, adventure, I will fully inform you. But until then, I think we should get right to it. Tonight, um, we're gonna talk to Eric Bishop again. Bishop has been busy. He uh, he's got uh, a new product out. Ransom Daughter just came out uh, September twenty three. Uh, it's 
awesome fast it is a fast story with really good characters so i thought it'd be a great idea to uh, bring him back on and uh in ransom daughter uh it goes straight down to as you'd expect uh, a dad going the extra mile for his daughter uh the girl um girl gets kidnapped uh all the threats are there they want to ransom and in his desperation this guy turns to a group that operates outside the purview of the united states government so fun called the omega group uh led by troy evans and his elite team uh they run headfirst into rescuing an abducted girl and abduct a bit let me let me try that again abducted girl and um man the story just spins from there so uh eric thank you again for joining me Speaking of dumb criminals, here's Eric Bishop. <laughs> I don't know. Don't admit anything here because, uh, you know, it, it deny. What is that? Deny, um, deflect, Plausible deniability? counter accusations. <laughs> yeah, man. So, um, so yeah, I, uh, you, I appreciate you sending me Ransom Daughter. That was, that was a great read. And um, thank you. And, uh, you know, we uh, started talking a little bit off the air, but um, I guess we'll just jump right into uh, to format. Um I haven't read many novellas. I, I really, um, I guess it's just never really come up for me. I, you know, when I see a title, it just ends up being a novel. Um, yeah. But as I'm reading it, um, you don't have, you know, you don't have to explain, you, you explain your characters through conversation and action. You don't take the chapter to set the backstory. You don't take the chapter, you know, the 10,000 words to explain how Troy Evans grew up and all the things that went into making him who he is today. Right. The team is introduced by their own description that comes up in these really fun conversations. These guys, mostly they spend the time talking shit, shit at each other uh, <laughs> throughout the novel. Um, and, uh, and man, as I'm reading, I'm like, that's uh, what a great episodic way to tell a story and just lean it out. And that, uh, and that's, I mean, it's awesome. What, how did the, I guess if I'm thinking about it, my first question for you would be going from the body man, um mm -hmm. full-length novel did your did your brain did the story of the ransom daughter just start out as a novella or did you have to get really jump on that cutting board when it came to cutting it down to that shorter format i actually added words to it so <laughs> the the story behind it is i wrote this pr uh prior to the body man so the the, the quick uh 30 second blurb is I wrote my first novel, which was focused on Troy and the Omega group. It was called Vengeance. I wrote that in 2014, um, thought it was going to, you know, change my life and the, 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 the money and adoration and everything else that every, you know, prospective writer thinks is going to happen. Didn't happen. Of course, I just got told no a lot and that you suck in the form of no, which I decided <laughs> meant you suck. And uh, so I wrote a second book and that book was actually, um, Troy's backstory because the first book was called Vengeance and it was a parallel story going on with Troy and another character and it, it was a drone story um is was that was the backdrop and then so I needed a reason of why Troy was on a path of vengeance because I didn't have it when I wrote that book so the second novel ended up being like a prequel that took took place before and it was Troy's backstory of why he got to that point um so I kind of did it out of order like Star Wars um without the billions of dollars that were that was generated um the third book then picked back up kind of after uh vengeance and was back with troy and the omegas so all that time i was trying to get an agent trying to get a publisher you know doing what most people do 
and I had some downtime and I said, well, you know, I got these characters in my head. I want to do something else with them. So I started writing. Um, and this was actually the first one I wrote, um, Ransom Daughter, which has been Ransom Daughter the whole time. So the, the, the concept stayed the same. I wrote another one, which became a lot bigger. Uh, I, I, I thought it was going to be a novella, but it was came in around like 70,000 words. And it was another story with Troy and the Omega group. Um, and then is after that is when I kind of just shifted gears and said, you know, I'm not getting anywhere with Troy. Why don't I do something different? And that's where the body man came out of. So um, sorry, I said it was going to be brief. Uh, In the meantime, when I had this gap between the body man coming out and the sequel breach of trust, which was all another big story we could talk about in the interview, uh, the joy of the publishing world. Um, I wanted to keep my name out there. I wanted to put something out and I started kind of looking through the catalog of stuff I had that wasn't published. And so I read through a bunch of the stories, especially the smaller ones, the novellas, and Ransom Daughter just was the one that popped. And it said, this needs to come out. I also knew it would be easier to put it out because of the format and the size. It's still the same amount of work to create a, you know, hire out a cover, create graphics and all that stuff that I, that I ended up hiring all the way out. Um, but from an editorial standpoint, before it goes to the professional editor, it was a lot easier for me to go through a 30,000 word story. I think it was 27 when I started and I got it to about 35 before I was happy with it. And I just kept going through it, going through it again, make changes. And finally I gave it to beta readers and they told me how silly I was with some spots. So I had to fix those. So finally this summer is when it was ready to actually go to the professional editor um, who really polished it for me. Um, Yeah. And then here I am, (laughs) here I am with it. So long answer actually to say, that's how the novella came to be. <laughs> no, nah, and it's, uh, but I'm, I'm, man, I'm glad I got to read it. Not only because it was a great story, but um, I, you know, when we talked, we've talked before, and uh, you've, you've had such a better strategic, mature way of, uh, of going about becoming a writer than I did. Mm-hmm. Like I wrote my first manuscript. I'm like, hi, oh, I wrote a book. Let's, let's get it published. And you, you know, and you quickly learn about just how messed up this publishing industry is you know you it's the you know having the thick skins one thing that's easy i mean it's like whatever okay that's a no 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 you just pile up and you just kind of keep score just for fun and then uh, when somebody does show up you have no idea what goes into this business and you're just like yeah that sounds good and you sign the contract and suddenly like the cover's crap you know i will say my editing was awesome cover Mm. was crap there's no marketing behind it there's no you have no idea how to how to market this yourself. You have no idea what goes into building a platform. So it's like, right. So I, I just like jumped in, you know, I just did an Arctic plunge and just mm-hmm. kept going. And you're like, what was it? Four novels that you're just like, well, I'm not getting anywhere. Then I'm shelving it. I'm shelving it. You're not forcing it. I'm just going to, just going to try. Okay. I'll try body man. Boom. Worked. Yeah. Yes. So three completed novels and two lengthy novellas and even a short story and a couple other failed attempts to start some stuff before I did the body man. So, but I'm the same way. I, I really thought did that first one, I didn't have a clue what I was doing when I wrote vengeance and it showed, it showed with the story. It showed with how I tried to get an agent. I, and I've told this on a few other podcasts is when I, you know, pitched it to the agent. I did have an agent actually say, you know, this isn't a bad story. I think it needs work. What's your social media, um, you know, platform? And I was like, social media is for suckers. I don't do social media. <laughs> and, the, and this person was like, yeah, when you have 10,000 Twitter followers and so many thousands of this and that, then come back and talk to me. So that 
that was 2015, 16, somewhere around, I think 16, early six or 15 is when they told me that because I had to wade through all the rejections for six months or eight months. And then finally in 16, I said, I think on January of 16 is when I started Twitter. And for a while I was still like, what the heck am I doing? This, this is stupid, <laughs> but I don't care if you're Eric Bishop or you're Brad Thor or you, whoever you are, you've got to play the game now and you have to market. And especially if you're a no-name person, you really have to market because at least the Thors of the world have a backer that's, that is, has a publicist and is doing marketing versus if you're a no-name or you're with a small publisher or even some even bigger publishers, you, you, you probably get squats from it. You know, you might get distribution, which is a big deal. Absolutely. But in the sense of having, you know, marketing done, yeah, good luck. You better, you better bust your tail. Yeah. And it's, it's funny, you know, the even, and it's, it's something I've, it's, I'm not, I'm not the wisest person. So it's, let's see, my first one came out in 2015. We're in 2023 now, uh, seven published eight. I did a, did two myself just to try out the indie, indie sphere. And mm-hmm. um, the eighth one sitting in limbo because of publisher issues. And yep. it's like, um, you know, it's, and you start talking to people and, and, you know, we talked, we've talked about this before, but the writing community, you get the authors together and it's, it's a, just a great supportive cast of yeah, everybody. Absolutely. And, and as you're talking to people, you're learning about the game and it's, it's like, sure, we've got, you know, the Baldacci's, the Clancy's um, up in this top tier. It's, it's almost like the, the DC sphere mm-hmm. of, uh, of comic book characters. You've got Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman underneath that. You got maybe the flash and green lantern go right. underneath that. You've got like, I don't even know who the dude is with the wings and the mace. I don't, I don't know, but it's like, it's like, uh, yeah, you get up and, and if you're Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman, you've got the publicist and you've got a marketing budget and it's all coming from the publisher to shove right out in the public. Right. Second tier, you've probably got somebody that'll pick up the phone and give you ideas. And in right. third tier, you, you can walk into Barnes and Noble and you can find your book, but the publisher's like, eh, we'll see how you do. Yeah, there's two copies in Barnes and Noble and they're in the back and yeah, yeah. and it's and it's on you to walk in every Thursday and just uh, go through, move some books around and put the cover out front. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Push it in front of Clancy's book or cars or someone else's book. Just stick it right in front of theirs. It's like, hey, they'll be fine. (laughs) I think they'll be just okay. (laughs) Yeah. And it's and it's funny. You're like uh, on that that first one that. uh, you know, invention, she got all these great ideas. And for me, it's always stuck in the back of my head. Like, I know I will be successful when I have a Tom Clancy level author pick on the back of my cover. Like if I'm in a bomber jacket standing on an aircraft carrier with go. like a cool hat with the oak leaves and be like, I, when I was 13, I was like, so that's what authors do. That's right. That's the plan. Okay. The, okay. So that's what I do. <laughs> and, that's what, that's what and, four of them do probably maybe six. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So yeah, well, it's, uh, it's... from the business perspective, I'll have to send you the link too after we get done. But uh, Publishers Weekly had an article. It's a couple of years old, but it's not it's not dated, and it was saying that on average in a year, ten books sell a million copies, five hundred books sell a hundred thousand or more copies. Um, I think I think it broke it down and said the average published, not self published, the average published author will sell five hundred copies of a novel that comes out in in its lifetime. Average self-published is less than 50. I mean, you look at the numbers and then I, I there is a stat out there. I, I don't remember it now what the average author makes a year on average of those under, ones that have a legit publishing deal. It's under for, minimum wage. Yes, it's not yeah. enough for anyone. You better have either a second job or a spouse that makes a good living or 
whatever it might be. But if you're trying to put words on paper and think that you're going to be, you know, writing it from a deck of an aircraft carrier every now and then, good luck with that. <laughs> good luck. Yeah. Yeah. 13 year old me ran into 37 year old me and was like, wow, you were misled. <laughs> <laughs> Someone lied to you. Somebody lied time. to you. Tom Clancy lied to you when you were 12. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. It's, so, what you did with, um, with uh, ransom daughter is you you've kind of just whoop gone just gone your own way you're you're it's a bold step if uh if you want to explain how you decided just uh just go your own way with ransom daughter and kind of jump into that world well i've learned a lot about the process so if you had talked to me in 2014 when i was writing vengeance and you said hey eric do you, do you plan on self-publishing i would have laughed in your face and said no Self-publishing is for suckers. It's for people that can't get a publishing deal. It's for people that probably put out subpar work and you'll never see me do that because I'm going to be a big deal. I'm going to be on the, you know, me and John Stamp are going to be sitting on the aircraft carrier smoking Cuban cigars, <laughs> laughing right. at everybody on the flight deck working. No, not at all. That's all sarcasm for anybody listening. <laughs> um, but from 2014 on to probably the last year or so, I've kind of learned so much. And the other thing, one thing I've learned too is that self-published authors and i and i know a bunch of them now and i read a lot of their books there's many of them that can compete with the clancy's and the the, the flynn's and the baldacci's and all that they're great they just haven't found they haven't got their foot in the door um and it might be for lack of them marketing themselves it might be for just not getting the right agent there's a million things that can prevent success um but they write really good books and so I kind of pivoted a couple of years ago and realized that my issue wasn't with uh, self-publishing. My issue was with the work it would take to self-publish. Um, then I got a publishing deal and I realized how much work that was. And then I started going, well, is it really less work? <laughs> so exactly. yeah. is it, am I really going to do less if I self-publish? And um, with parting ways with the publisher I had, what I kind of learned is that the best thing I can do if I want to put work out is to stay in my lane. And by that, I mean, what can I do well? Well, I think I can come up with really good stories, um, more than one, not just the body man and then be done. Um, I think I can market. I'm not great at marketing, but I'm not bad at marketing. And I'm, I've got the social media, at least the nuances down. Um, I can, you know, it still needs to grow and hit other markets and all that. Absolutely. But I can, I'm comfortable doing that. I'm comfortable doing podcasts, whatever it might be. Um, so what can't I do? Well, I'm not a graphic designer. I don't need to be designing a cover, logos. I don't need to be editing a book. If people read my first draft, they'll laugh at me and think I'm not a writer. Um, yeah. It takes a lot of edits and then it takes a final polish to like make the English language real to me in the form of commas and semicolons and all the other fun things and quotation marks that I probably leave off from time to time. Um, so I know what I needed help with. And so kind of basically after I parted ways with the publisher and I was kind of, I got the rights back for breach of trust. I said, man, I don't want to take that book yet and just dump it out there. I want to figure out how to put something out myself. Um, and also with the fact that leaving the publisher, I know it happens, but it's kind of rare to take an established series and get it to a different publisher. Yeah. And I didn't want to start over with that process because that could take years and if the body man came out in 2021 and breach of trust came out in 2026, you know, five years later, no one even remembers who I am. Yeah. So that kind of got me thinking of, okay, what do I do in the meantime? I I'm going to put breach of trust out on my own. And I made that decision late last year, early this year, early this year, January or so, but I don't want to do it yet. I want to look at it with fresh eyes. I need to hire people to do the editing and the covers and all that. 
And in the meantime, I was like, well, I have these other stories that I believe in, which one would be a way to kind of get my feet wet um, with not least amount of effort, but just from an editorial standpoint, I know how much time it would take to read it and reread it and go through it. And it's like, well, a 90,000 page book is going to take a year to do all that. Mm. A novella, though, I can probably knock out in six months of really fine tuning it and fixing it. So that kind of that time frame directed my thought process. And and yeah, so far, I couldn't tell you what the sales are. I'm not looking at those yet. I'm just I'm trying to keep the blinders on and just market and promote and do what I got to do. And another week or two, I'll probably look at the numbers and I'll either be like, yeah, buddy. Or I'll be like, oh, yeah, buddy. <laughs> you know, well, I'll... <laughs> well, I mean, once you've once you've been on this show, I mean, it's done. It's a done deal. All right. <laughs> yeah. But you, uh, you, no. aircraft carrier for the two of us. Is this what's coming yeah, after this? It's, it's coming. And I should probably uh, d- define sarcasm again on, on that <laughs> previous comment. Yeah, I'm the same way. I don't look at rank and I don't look at uh, I don't even look for the state. There might be like five people listening to this podcast. I have no idea. I know <laughs> it, it's uh, it's funny on the um on the Instagram uh, page, when I decided to, to start this on the Instagram uh, thing, it, uh, you know, I've my, my own, my personal Instagram and Twitter, I actually ditched Twitter twice. Um, I get up to like a thousand, a thousand followers. And I'd be like, this is so maddening to watch yeah. these people bicker about nothing and think right. that they're waving a flag or fighting the good fight. And I was oh, yeah. like, delete. And I'd be like, Oh, I gotta go back and start I got over yeah. back. And, uh, and so it's, um, yeah. So on the IG, it's been there a while and it's like, I don't know, four or 500 people maybe. And mm-hmm. then, um, when I did the the page for the, um, podcast that bumped up to like, I think it's a little under a thousand in less than a year. And I'm like, oh, okay. I have no idea what the difference yeah. is. Um, but, uh, yeah, on that, uh, the, the business side of the independent author I've, um, I do about three conferences a year. I'm going to try and get to Thriller Fest and BoucherCon next year, but um, shout out Space Coast uh, book lovers down in um, Cape Canaveral, uh, Books at the Beach out in uh, out in Clearwater. I don't know where they're going next year. And then uh, Amelia Island, uh, just south of me over on Amelia Island, Georgia. But, you know, there's, there's independent authors that fill those conferences and they have mm-hmm. throngs of really of rabid fans. Like we'll yeah. do panels and uh and we'll be doing uh, talks and stuff and there will pe- be people just arguing with the author because they did something with a character or they <laughs> did this particular arc with a character and they couldn't believe they put these two people together and and i'm like watching them and the thing is they all have a system yeah. you know they've got we've got the the art side the art side um where you know we we bang out a hundred thousand words or however long the story is but like you said, it's an, and it's the editor and it's the uh, getting a good cover. And I was actually one of those people who had enough uh, hubris to be like, I can knock this out. It's easy. Right? <laughs> and uh, it was a fail, <laughs> a couple of fails. <laughs> um, but you find the right people eventually. And um, all these people that are just mobbed with uh, with these fans who have never bothered with a publisher in their life. They have that system in place, that constant yeah. stream of communication. And that's... Um, it's just, I've watched it over time and I'm like, man, those, those people got it figured out. And I have done, 
the the fantasy i experimented with a high fantasy i wanted to do swords and sorcerers and well i didn't have any sorcerers but swords and horses and all that nonsense uh i tried try that and i'm sorry fantasy people it's not nonsense um <laughs> harder to harder to write but um, it didn't work for you <laughs> actually um i love that story it's a die, it. okay. die hard in a castle a medieval uh a medieval adventure die hard in a castle um pretty much it was wraith of shelter mount and it was i love the story i love the characters the research going into writing a separate genre what wore me out you know wore me out yep. with everything from clothing to weapons to talk to culture right um but when i did do it myself by that time i have an awesome cover guy uh jeffrey ray hayes um plasma fire gra- graphics and then um an editor had found a great editor and then, but the thing that I really liked was the control that I had. Like I didn't have anybody who didn't have anything with writing the book coming back to me saying, you need to do this. You need to do this. I don't like that title. Right. I like this title. I'm like, cool. So I put it out. And I, like you said, you need the business side. I had no idea how to do marketing, none whatsoever. So I throw it out there. I'm like, this is going to be great. Here comes my aircraft carrier moment. <laughs> <laughs> and it didn't. Um but yeah, as you go, so it was a little boat floating in the tub, basically, is what it was. Pretty much, pretty much a hot, <laughs> hot wheels, hot wheels Corvette instead of a real hot Corvette. Wheels Corvette. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, and then as you go, you're like, all right, I don't know marketing, I don't know publicity. Find the right person for that, and so the system's building right. over time. Yeah, but it's it's just uh, once you get it, the control is. I think the control is the most alluring thing. Like I can write my stuff, I can do it my way, and there's nobody over my head telling me I'm you know, offending somebody because I said this or I said that. Right. Well, that's where I was with, with breach of trust. The, the publisher rejected it and basically like, you can do better. you got a better story in you. This is better. And I'm like, no, this is actually the story I wanted to tell. And I had some really people that I respect read it. And they're like, dude, this is better than the body man. And I'm like, well, I think I'm reading two different stories that, you praise. know, and it, 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 I even asked, I even texted back in their message because it was only digital communication between them. And like, did you actually read the whole story? I did. <laughs> okay. Well, then apparently we're not going to be able to move forward. And that wasn't hubris on my part saying I crafted something that can't be changed or that it's so great. But it's like, no, this was, I, I believe in what I put there. And that's why it was that line in the sand of, do I, and you know, basically, it was recommended of like rewrite, and it's like, yeah, not for that little amount of money. You know, the amount of money I'll make on this book is probably what I make in 10 days at my nine to five job, you know, for a year. You know, it's like, nah, I don't think so. This, I love writing and I love stories, and I'm not trying, you know, I'm not trying to make a bazillion dollars off this, but I'm also not going to piss away my time and someone else. And that's the other thing with, you know, is you know it now too. Um, th- what the percentage the author gets versus what the uh, publisher gets it's ridiculous there's reasons for it and in some ways i think it's justified in other ways you look at it and you go if you if you're taking that much of my money you better be busting your ass marketing it and you better be getting me in on barnes and noble and at airports and all that if you're not then why am i giving away you know 85 percent of my profit yeah, it just exactly. doesn't make any sense so that's the cool thing of doing it on your own you can moan and complain to the boss. And for right now, the boss is talking to you. So That's if I screw it up, it's my fault. I screwed it up. But if I'm successful with it, I get the glory as well and the financial incentive. Um, so it, it's, it, but it's a, it's a delicate balancing act um, for sure. And I don't, you know, I, I, I don't fault people for not wanting to go that way. And I also don't fault people for doing it. Cause when you look at it from a business perspective, you know, for, 
500 authors or so, it might be beneficial to sign a, a, a contract. But um, I, there was something, it was on social media, it was on, a, it was on TikTok of all places. An author actually put a video out maybe a month or so back where she explained how she made the USA bestseller list, like how many copies it took, which was like 700 copies sold in the first week. And, and she made the bestseller list. Yeah. What they gave her for an advance, but the advance was basically going to be like for three years, like you get it over th- the course of three years. It's the amount of money that nobody in this country, maybe if you live in a, a third world nation, you could live, but not in the United States. Nobody could live off that money. And, and they were excited about it. And I don't blame them. I'd be excited too, but you can't live off writing for that. So you got to have a way to put food on your table and interest rates are 8%. So if you want to buy a house, guess what? You're not doing it on an advance like that. (laughs) So, nope. Yep. You've got, you, you know, the, we all, we all equate the the novelists with the guys who, uh, you know, get to take the picture on the back of an aircraft carrier, but it's like, you might as well go work for a newspaper and get paid by the word. It's, it's, you're going to do way better, you know, it's, but it, but it, you know, you and me can both attest, you keep coming back. You know, this, uh, I had a guy tell me once that it was like riding a lottery ticket and it's like, maybe it'll hit, maybe it won't. It's like, right. Yeah. But it's, it's stuck in my head. So this, this stuff's got to come out of my head. Cause there's a, there's a, yeah. there's a lot going on up there. So it's at this point, it's, it's going to happen regardless if I make money or not, because it's, it's almost right. become like going to the gym. It's, it's gotta, it's gotta, um, you just gotta work out the work out that mind. Well, I think it's therapeutic. Um, the first editor I hired years ago asked me, if I were to tell you right now, it's not good enough. It's not going to get published. This is before they agreed to do the edit, which I really respected. Um, would you Would you go write another book? If I said this one ain't going to make it, I know it's not going to make it. And I said, yeah, absolutely. I'll write 10 more books. Eventually, I'm going to write one that's going to make it. It's probably not going to be number one. And at the time, I think I was not number three or four. That was number four. It's actually, the, that's what it was. It was the body man before I got the publisher. I'd hired a professional editor uh, about a year, year or so before I actually got the publishing deal. Um, but yeah, I said, I'll just keep writing books and eventually I'll either get good at it or whatever will happen. But I'm not going to stop. And, and I won't stop. You know, even if I find that Ransom Daughter didn't do what I was hoping it would do, um, I still have two more coming out next year that are in the works. I'll most certainly do those. I got a couple more probably that I'll I'll probably back it off then and probably just do one a year under my own brand because uh, I have two stories in various stages and one of them is with another author um, that we want to get traditional. At least mm-hmm. that's our thought process. Yeah. But then other people are whispering in my ear saying, why do you really want the traditional? Especially if you can make it successful under your brand, under your Bruno Media Entertainment, why would you go traditional? But Part of that, I think, too, is I, you know, I've got a bucket list of stuff. And one of them is I want to be able to walk in. And every time I walk in an airport, I want to see one of my books at Hudson News or whatever. And I'm going to do what Jack Hart does. I'm going to sign those bad boys. I might get arrested yep. at the first store <laughs> as I pull up the Sharpie. Like, no, seriously, flip it. I'm like, see that ugly person? This is me. Ugly this person. Same ugly person. You know, they're like, yeah, tell it to security. And, you know, then I'll just, I'll scream bomb and run and I figure I'll be fine. So yeah, yeah. they'll be all right. They'll be fine. They don't, yeah. the dogs are, the dogs are out in the parking lot. They're not going to catch you till you get out there anyway. Absolutely. <laughs> we know about those dogs are, or they're not for bombs. Those are for drugs. Yeah. Just don't carry when you're doing it. Exactly. <laughs> they'll just but, come um, up and pet you. So, to, and that's one thing that I did have to kind of accept with going down the self-publishing route is one of the things uh, you know, go indie is you're you're sacrificing distribution, you're sacrificing where it might be available, but you're also doing that if you go with a lot of small publishers. 
they don't have the distribution. They're not going to have you in an airport or target. You know, I'm on walmart.com. I'm on barnesandnoble.com. You can buy either the body man or ransom daughter, and you'll be able to buy breach of trust. And the other one that follows uh, ransom daughter, it's just not the physical copies at this point. But again, I think too, I view it as baby steps, learn the process, get better at it, keep getting, you know, contacts for certain things that you're not good at, maybe marketing or whatever it might be, and then just keep building. And as they build an audience too, I think a lot of the other stuff will come. And if it doesn't, at the end of the day, I'm doing what I enjoy doing. So yep. there's a lot of people in this life that are very unhappy in life and they aren't willing to take a step out of that unhappiness and try something different. Uh, that's not me. That's not how I'm living my life. Is the one chance I'm going to get. I'm going to enjoy the ride as much as I can until it comes to a screeching halt. Yep. And everything you put out is an evolution. So it's like, yes. yeah, this one doesn't work. You know what? My my prose is going to be way tighter next time. I've, I'm I know what words are supposed to be there, what aren't supposed to be there. I know what worked be, before, what worked, what doesn't work. So every every book is an evolution, and everyone should be a progression. I hope it is. Um, but uh, you know, that's what I tell myself. But I also no. don't read. I won't go back and read my first novel either. <laughs> I can't, I can't get through it. I'll cringe, man. I, I, cringe I read this like I... a month ago and I'll never read it again. Probably. I might flip through it for some references, but I'll probably never read it again. And that, and I'm okay with it. And there's actually a story behind that. I was having lunch uh, a couple of years back with a local author up in Asheville. We, we met a few times for lunch and she, we were talking about books and I hadn't been published yet. And she told me she never read her books that have been published. And I was like, that's the craziest thing in the world. You work so hard. You got that book out. And she goes, just wait, just wait. <laughs> Give it and chance. the body man came out. I've never read the body man. So body man has been out for two years, a couple of weeks will be two years. I've opened it for reference purposes, but I've never read that book again. And I, and I can't imagine I ever will. I don't see a scenario of why I wouldn't even, unless Tom Cruise buys the rights for one of these characters or one of these series. And he's like, Hey, this is great. Let's talk about this. I'll be like, yeah, let me reread this thing real quick. So yeah, I can have me, an intelligent conversation. <laughs> what did I write five years ago or 10 years ago or whatever? I don't remember. <laughs> yeah, for me, it was uh, I remember um, I was outlining the second uh, Jackson Cole novel that I wrote. And um, as I'm doing it, I'm like, what happened last time? Because it was a tie back. And I'm like, oh, man. So I'm sitting at a book signing and I'm, I got my outline in one hand and I'm like and Shattered Circles just sitting there and I'm like. All right. So I, I get in there and I just start, I just start flipping through it. I can't get through a sentence being like, I would never write. Oh God. Oh geez. And I wrote keep that. Looking and you find it. And I find that paragraph. I'm like, Oh, I got it. My skin, my, my spine is just tingling. I'm like, Nope. Oh, like, <laughs> Cause and if you think about it, like when I, um, when I was wrapping up, uh, Todd Benhoff too, um, I counted, I went back and counted because I, you know, people always talk about how many drafts they do. And I've never actually paid attention to the amount of drafts I do on a particular book. And I think before I sent it off to, I've sent it off to a few different publishers and a couple of different things that I, that I'm kind of playing with. Um, I actually have read it six times. Yeah. So it's like on the other and So on that hand, you're like, okay, I don't care who publishes it or where I find it on the shelf. Do I need to read that again? Right. Because I don't. Uh, I what's know lucky what's number happening. seven going to do for me, really? Yeah, I, I know what's going on at this <laughs> <Yeah>. point. <laughs> you better know what's going on. Yeah, right. Um, oh, man. It's it's funny. I did get um, I did get uh, a uh, a fan letter back uh, from uh, a guy who's who read he, he read a bunch of my stuff and he wrote back and, and he was pointing out technical details that I got wrong. It was little things, but they were actually mm -hmm. to me. I'm like, oh, like 
in uh and i'll i'll just straight up admit him i don't care but uh in um blood red ivory it takes place in zimbabwe and you know it's a it's it part of the story is a, a group of of rangers anti-poaching rangers protecting an elephant herd okay. and i put i put ty in a standoff with a bull elephant you know he's just he's he does he has no he's complete fish out of water trying to do a crime scene in the middle of uh of the wilds of zimbabwe and an elephant herd shows up in front of him and okay. and he just has a standoff with it and these rangers are like if you move you're gonna die and so i'm like okay and i and as i wrote it this guy writes back he's like he's like yeah i don't want to nitpick but um yeah, it's uh, elephant herds are actually a matriarchal society, and the males are are really just there for you know to protection and blah 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 blah. And I'm like, <laughs> they're eye candy. I'm like, I'm like, oh man, I'm like, and I'm re- going back. I'm like, okay, where did I put the dudes in charge? Where did I put the? Du-? I'm like, wait yeah. a second. All that guy did was threaten to stop my main character. It's like the the, I think the women were in charge at the end. I'm like, so it just gets the brain twist, and I'm like, got me. I'm like, you got me, man. <laughs> I had my first ransom daughter email this morning that said, Hey, great story. Really enjoyed it. Now this one part here, it's not exactly how that technology works. I mean, you know, I, Hey, I'm getting someone to read it. So I'm not going to be like, screw you. You you don't know what you're talking about. This guy probably for sure knows what he's talking about. So I just graciously replied back and said, Hey, thank you so much. I appreciate you reading it. I thank you for pointing that out. I'll, that helps me know a little bit more for next time. And I don't, you know, I don't take offense at that because I'm, you know, I'm in a world, especially with Ransom Daughter. You know, the body man was in the world basically of the White House, uh, Secret Service, FBI, a world I know about in some degrees, but I'm pretending. Ransom Daughter's basically in the world, besides the kidnapping of a, you know, an ODA, a six guy group from, you know, that are Green Berets. Um, I'm actually going to a wedding on Saturday. That's a guy from fifth group. That's he's not in the story, but I know enough about him that I can gleam off that for stories. And one of my best friends is in the wedding party. I've known him since college and he went through a 20 year career and I got a lot of information from him. He reads my stuff, um, but I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what it's like <laughs> to, you know, kick in a door and fire an RPG or do any of these other crazy things. So I'm I'm living vicariously through these characters and I'm I know their banter enough because I've been around these guys and they talk shit all the time. Oh, all yeah. the time. I, I I I try to tone it back, but I know I almost can't say it enough and it would be fairly realistic. Um but I try not to make them too immature and all that. Um but yeah, I'm just I'm telling a story. Am I getting everything right with it? Oh, heck no. I hope I'm making it up in a somewhat coherent way. But I know the experts are reading it and probably like, ah, Bishop, just, you know, would you write about your finance job? I'm like, no, then I'll like have zero sales. I won't even buy it. I, I always buy a copy of my own book. I'll have zero oh, yeah. sales if I write about a finance dude that does my life. Yeah, it's it's fiction, man. It's fiction. <laughs> we get for to make stuff up. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> it's it's Absolutely. funny though. I don't know if you've noticed this because you do have some technology in uh in uh, Body Man and and Ransom Daughter, but I'm noticing this more and more. It's like uh, you know, we can come up if we're trying to write in the thriller genre and but we're trying to be right on the edge and come up with cool stuff. It's like the more we write, I feel like if we're writing stuff that feels like it's on the cutting edge and then we go back and try to uh, research it to get the details, like my cutting edge is like five years late. It's, yes. You know, it's, it's getting harder and harder to jump the technology line and to come up with something new because it's like the speed yep. that which we're growing. It's almost like we're writing in the past. It, at least yes. I noticed that with a couple of things I've been working on. It's like, holy crap, man. 
Well, there's a scene in Ransom Daughter um, about tracking the money, mm-hmm. about That's, how to track yeah, the money. Right. I had originally written that. I don't know what year it was, 2017, 18, 19, so, you know, years ago. So I had to kind of revisit it and tweak it a little bit. And I, I tried to research what's out there. But I knew when I was researching it that by the time it actually is done and it's been out for a year or two, it's probably going to be out of date. So I took what I could figure out and then I just made some crap up. You know, is that exactly how it works? I'm sure I'll get a nasty email now after this, after one of your four million listeners hears That's this right. and they're uh, like, you know, 4.5, but who's counting? Bishop, it doesn't work that way. Let me tell you for the listener, it's going to say that I don't care. I don't care. Does it sound entertaining for everyone else besides you? Then I'm happy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And at the, at the same time, guess, uh, you know, um, motorcycles can actually race up mountains like Tom Cruise does in Mission Impossible. That that wouldn't work either. So it's like, you know, what do you want? Don't, but don't break. Don't break my heart, John. Yeah, don't yeah. Break my heart. Come on. Well, I, I would love the base jump off that mountain. I don't know where it was in that movie. And it was a great scene. Um but uh, oh, a Norway, a, Norway or somewhere like that. It was it was it was over that way, I think. A mo- motorcycles scare me and B, <laughs> um, I'm, I would die uh, if I did that. So it's it, but it looks cool and it'd be a great ride down. I'm sure. Yeah, <laughs> no, he had some good uh, he had some good effects in that one. Um, uh, we'll see what he comes out with next. Uh, that, that'd be a cool and I, I use it jokingly saying I want to buy the rights, um, but it would just be neat to have someone at some point take interest in it. And, you know, kind of like what what car got with pratt where you get kind of just this you know Perfect. a-list person that totally does your character justice even though they make changes um of course what car had was so unusual too because and i've gotten that a lot recently like well are you going to try to get someone to buy the rights for ransom daughter and i'm like yeah do i look do i have stupid <laughs> stenciled on my forehead of course i'm going to try doesn't mean anyone's going to be interested and they're like well just think how much money you could make and i'm like you're stupid if you think you make money off that. You might. You can get lots of money on that. But what's more usual, more more normal for Hollywood is they're going to throw a couple bananas at you and say, here you go, monkey. This is all you get. <laughs> you know, come up and with that's cool. If, that's just to buy the rights. Then if they green light it, they might throw a bigger stack of bananas at you. But the likelihood of having that be your pay dirt. Now, I say that with the understanding of in the last year. I don't personally know them. I've interacted with them online, but I know two authors that got seven figure deals for their books to be turned into something. So those deals are out there. And so for people like myself, for you, for other authors that are, you know, kind of hustling, deals are out there. People can have life changing amount of money happen. Just don't quit your day job and expect that to happen. Or you'll probably be going off that mountain Tom Cruise went out, but you're not on a motorcycle and you don't have a parachute. So, (laughs) yeah. And it's, uh, yeah, there is that bright light because all the streaming services are so in dire need of content. Yes, and um, and I'm not bagging on anybody because these guys are professional writers, but um, you know the Hollywood writing scene—they're so locked down with the the that culture of Hollywood that uh, you know if you write for a network, you've got to um, you've got to work in you know the cause of the week or what flag are we flying this week and who are we who are we trying to uh you know what what just nonsense do i have to fit in there to make a political point and it's right and then they're so vanilla they they can't actually be people talking about people i don't remember the last time i saw a show that wasn't on like fx or something that actually looked like a real communication between real Mm. human beings unless you go over to amazon because like you said with um terminal list it's uh that could that couldn't be a feature film like 
it was just too gritty. It was just right. too, uh, too well written and the people were too authentic and there's mm-hmm. no way big Hollywood would have been able to do that. It, it, but yeah. on that Amazon platform, they don't, they're not, it doesn't look like they throttle content the way that the other ones do. Mm-mm. No, I don't think but, so. I don't they think need so it. at all. They need that content. And it's, so there yeah. is, I mean, anybody could write any given thing. If it lands in the right hands, you're good to go. It's right. just the way it is. But well, again, I, I think for, for the hope the authors should take out of that is, hey, guess what? You have the ability to succeed. The only thing that can keep you from succeeding is yourself, is if you quit, is if you give up and say, because you don't know, you could be one email away the next day from someone saying, hey, John, I like this story. Let's talk, you know, yeah. or it could be, you know, an agent gets a handle of it and says, Man, I can turn this into a we can turn this into a successful book. And I know people in Hollywood that are begging for this kind of stuff right now. That is out there. And again, we are our biggest, we can either be our biggest cheerleaders or we can be our biggest hindrance in success. And yeah, so and I, it's, I, and it's absolutely random when that happens. Like I was on a phone call six months ago. I was meeting a couple of guys at the bar and I get a phone call and it was a guy, um, related to a, a podcast I was talking to. And he's like, and he, he was an executive producer and he's like, is it, and he, he's just started talking about all my books. And he's like, he's like, these things work really good. Is anybody option these? And I was like, no, I don't even, I don't even know what that means, but he's like, huh. And he just moved on to what we were talking about. I was like, no, we can, we can stay there <laughs> hey, for a little bit. Circle back what here. <laughs> right. <laughs> but it's, it's a conversation. It's like, cool. You know, if, if something happens, cool. If not, then I keep typing away and then we'll see what comes up. You know, it's just random and it is random. But one thing I want to say, and again, it's not my hill I'll die on. But a lot of times the one thing I've heard from authors say is you just the one thing that you can't expect or you can't plan on is you got to get lucky. And personally, I don't believe that. And the reason I don't believe that and I'll use car as an example, and I've used it in other ones. And I know Jack, you know, in some form. So I, I can tell the story briefly is people go, oh, Jack Carr got lucky. Look what happened. Chris Pratt got his thing. No. How did Jack get that deal? Jack got that deal because when he was active duty, when he was in the military, he had someone coming through the ranks that was getting out. And Jack sat him down and kind of gave him some advice on what to do in his future. I think he even gave him some contacts, if I remember the story correctly. The guy gets out of the military, gets out of the Navy, um, ends up getting job in Hollywood as a stunt guy. Um, years, Several years pass. Jack comes out with this book. This guy reaches out to Jack. The book wasn't even out yet. Uh, it was still advanced copies out. That part I remember. And the guy reaches out and says, hey, do you remember me? He goes, yeah, I remember you. He goes, do you remember what you said to me when I was getting out of the military? And he said, no idea. And so the guy recounts the conversation to Jack. And he says, that conversation is what set me up for what I'm doing now. And Jack was like, you know, man, awesome. I'm glad that that worked. And the next thing the guy says is, can I get a copy of the book for someone? You know, and he goes, yeah, sure. Who do you want it for? Chris Pratt. So Jack didn't get lucky, in my opinion. Jack sowed the seeds and it got paid forward years later of he did something. He helped someone in several years later, helping that someone out who's he was genuinely being who he was that paid dividends that altered his life. But that was something he did that affected that change. It wasn't just he walked into a bar and there was a, a lottery ticket sitting on the stool and he picked it up and goes, oh, this was the one point two billion dollar California thing. Cool. No, it wasn't that. It was actually he did something to affect that change. Now, 50 people might do something nice and only one of them gets fame and fortune out of it. Why is that the case? I'll let someone else decide that. But I do think it's what we put in that sometimes for some people, 
can have lasting effects. And I will say that, uh, you know, just to add to that, that another rare thing about this community is um, I haven't talked to anybody that, uh, and I've seen it in other areas and I've seen it, you know, that there, I haven't seen anybody with just jealousy just saying like, you know, he just fell, he just fell on, yeah. on the golden ticket. Right. They, he doesn't, you know, saying he doesn't deserve that. You know, he hasn't, it was his first novel. It's like, that's that everybody that's in is like, man, just good on him. He did it right. And like mm-hmm. you say, it's a good, it's a good story. He's, mer- he's mentoring his soldier or his sailor, you know, helping him along the way, like any leader does and right. it comes back around. And I, but, I, mm-hmm. but I haven't seen anybody wanting to stab, you know, throw knives at his back about it. That's just right. like, it's like, that's awesome. And that's, that's a dream right there. And everybody's happy for him. There's nobody, yeah. you know, pissed about it, which it's just another thing. I think the author community, I will never say enough about the author community. It's just so supportive. Neither will I. And I, I have around. a philosophy on that real quick too. I think part of that is because very rarely does someone break into this business that has no experience. Um, and by that, I mean, you don't see many 20, 22 year olds, 23 year olds becoming the next big thing in the writing community. Most of the time, what you find is what we're finding is you start getting at a, at a more of a middle age time where you've had a career, you've had a life, you've had a wife, children, husband, whatever, you've got yourself kind of, you've, you've established yourself in life. That's when I think things normally happen for people. It's not their first book. It's their fourth book. It's not their, you know, and they they had to fall down a bunch of times. And I think that should be a lesson for people of, man, that life experience can really help you. And I think it helps craft your stories better because what I wrote, what I wrote in college was more poetry. And then even when I started some, some novels or stories and I never finished them in my early twenties, they're crap compared to what I can do now. And probably what I can do now compared to what I'll be able to do in 20 years now is probably going to be crap. When I look back on it in 20 years and go, man, ransom daughter, really? I'll play, you know, <laughs> I'll flip through the first couple pages. I'll be like, What's well, a stupid way to start a story. Why did I do that? Well, because I was doing at the time the best I could come up with. I was hustling. I was busting my ass and I was proud of what I did. And 20 years from now, I might be a lot better at it. Well, good, because I stuck with my craft and I improved. So kudos to me, but also kudos to me 20 years before for doing what? Sticking with it and not yep. giving up. And and just to put a, a lid on it, I mean, it's always the I hate you know, stereotypical terms, but fortune favors the bold is that always works. If you, yes, if you just always. go for it, if you go for it, you got a chance of winning. If you don't go for it, you have zero chance of winning. And yep. I, I tell my boys, they're 10 and six. And I tell them whenever, whenever they get nervous about something, I was like, if you walk into any given situation, like you own the place, 90% of the people that are in there are automatically going to think you do because yeah. they don't know any better and they don't want to cause, they don't want to get it to cause the attention. That's, that's served me for 20, 20 straight years. Just if I go to prison one like day for, for, for stealing one of those Honda Accords you told me earlier in the interview I should do, I'm looking for the biggest guy and I'm laying him out if I can to yep. prove my dominance so I don't end up being uh, a, a bad a bad. Bad, bad situation. That's exactly right. <laughs> or, or just figure out a way to get in solitary confinement and just stay there. <laughs> that would be stabbing that big guy right. <laughs> with, with, with right. the shiv. Yeah. yeah, I don't want to take anybody out, but I also don't want to be here with you people. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe it was Jeffrey Dahmer. Maybe it was a really, really bad guy that you're taking out <laughs> yeah, first. Exactly. So. Well, I mean, it worked out for the guy who did it. I mean, he's he kind of got a documentary about him. <laughs> but uh, uh, you, you know, you mentioned the opening of Ransom Daughter, and uh, and I'm not going to give anything away because I think the way you laid it out. It needs to be read. I, I really don't want to give any any other way because the way you open it up, we just start. 
you know, there is no intro, there is no laying the scene, there's no setting the stage. It's just boom, here I am. And Troy is trying, Troy's uncomfortable trying to figure out what he's doing, how he fits in, knows that he's out of place, fish out of water. And, Mm -hmm. um, and we are the ones that have to figure out, we're like, okay, well, I hope they tell us what's going on at some point. And the best part is, I don't, I think I got 50 pages in before it was like, Oh, okay. This is what we're doing. Sweet. And then, but in that time you're revealing and just shavings of what's going on. And uh, that, that format just, uh, it was awesome. It's so lean that you can do it in that way. And it's, uh, it's just, uh, I I mean, it was intriguing from somebody who just, you know, you got to start out the intro and it's, and I have the rule, you know, if if the, if the hook doesn't come within 10 pages, I'm not making it to like 15, you know, Mm -hmm. so it's, you got to do it tight, but you still got to lay the scene out. You still got to draw out the atmosphere. And, but with that format, you were just able to jump in and the reader's got to play catch up. And I I mm-hmm. love that. I love I love books like that. So that's um, I've copyrighted that format. So if you I, I'll, I'll gladly take the the 23 uh, percent going oh, forward absolutely. on anything you write that does that. Absolutely. <laughs> yep. No, I definitely don't violate copyrights. <laughs> I'll, I'll send you my wiring instructions after the call. So nice, no, it nice. was again, I didn't reinvent the wheel on this, um, but it's not super common like we were talking off you know offline for a couple minutes before we started taping of yeah novellas is one of those things and i don't you know it's been out for two weeks now came out october 10th so it's just today's two weeks it's been out i haven't looked at numbers i can't tell you how successful it is um if it's you know i didn't have to sell a ton of copies to make it profitable only because i didn't have a ton invested in it fortunately um so i think i may i think you know break even gonna happen pretty quickly um probably already happened um but for novellas, are they are they something that's you know are are they profitable in the sense of could they pay your bills? You'd probably have to put out a bunch a year, obviously. Um, and I don't know, like I know Brad Taylor has a novella. He was he was doing um, after he got out of the military, he was doing two books a year till he didn't. And I think when he stopped doing the two full length novels a year, he started then doing a full length novel and a novella. Um, so he's one of the bigger name ones out there in the military thriller genre that's actually put novellas out, but they're not too common. Um, mm-hmm. I'd like to think they'll get more common. Um, cause I think, especially if you're a full-time author, if this is your, if, if you're fortunate and you're able to make a living and you can write for a living, I don't know how you just write one story a year. Um, just, I, I would drive myself crazy the rest of the months of the year, especially if you have a big publisher behind you and you have a publicist and, you know, you have to do social media and stuff, but you don't have to do what I'm doing or what you have to do. Yeah. You, you, you're not a constant hustle. I'd have to write some other stuff or I'd have to have another interest, you know, that keeps my occupies my time and physically keeps me busy. So if I'm, if I'm full-time writing and I'm going to be writing multiple novels a year, or maybe I'm writing a couple novellas or short stories and then the other thing, too, that I was going to say is just with all the contacts I've made over the years, I had someone reach out to me recently um, who's very well connected in this industry. And they said, you know, they talk to a lot of well-known authors and some of these bigger name authors are looking at self-published now and saying, you know, maybe I'll keep I've got my deal with Simon and Schuster, but I might put some stuff out on my own, even maybe under a pen name or maybe not use their real name. But I might start putting some stuff out because they have that capacity to do it. And also they're seeing that other people that are coming through and doing this, it can be profitable for people. Yep. And you it's know, a trickle down effect. You know, you got your right. major one and then as the readers find you, they, they're going to want to read everything else. So it's just yes. a trickle down, you know? Um, yeah. And, and 
unless contractually you're told you can't put stuff out like competing works and i don't and that might be the case i so i'm ignorant to that because i've never signed a contract with the with a large publisher but unless you have something that says you can't in some ways it would behoove you as long as it's a good solid quality to just put something out even in a novella format that's an ebook only yeah if, if your name is you know if eric bishop's a big name why would eric bishop only come out with one book a year when his fans you know, that we're talking real quick to beeline it, but you're talking about the author community. One of the reasons I think why it is so cohesive and you don't have the knives coming and all that is because we're not competition to each other. No. You know, John Stamp comes out with a book. I don't read just John Stamp's one book a year and go, well, I'm done for the year. Can't <laughs> yeah, wait for John's it. next book. Check that box. Yeah, no, I'm going to read, you know, probably a book a week, a lot. I mean, people read more than a book a week, but I know there's, you know, it's very common for people that read books that they're reading dozens of books a year. So, you know, John Stamps not competing with Brad Thor, competing with Jack Carr or Eric Bishop or David Darling or Ama Adair or whatever. There's a, it's a big playground. There's a room yeah. for all of us to sit on the merry-go-round, which we should have those back in playgrounds and the teeter-totters and all the fun things they took away and made these, <laughs> you know, ridiculous playgrounds they have now with Hamster all the mats tubes. everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. No, it, I think falling right. builds character. everybody compliments everybody else, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah falling builds character. Yeah. That's right. No, it, everyone <laughs> really does. I mean, that's the reason why the body man has Don Bentley's name on it, which also gave me tom clancy's name because he's right who's writing on the clancy estate so you know my first novel that got published you know the name don bentley and tom clancy are on the front cover of my novel so the first time i looked at that i was like it's pretty freaking cool yeah, especially since cool. i the first novel my dad gave me that was in the thriller genre was a tom clancy novel so that name was always up there on that hierarchy you know it's on my you know um rushmore of authors that really got oh, me yeah. into into writing yeah, yeah. I've still got mine. Oh, yeah. They're, 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 they're up above me. I've got it. I've got every one. I see up Rainbow until Six there. Yeah, I see him. He brought on co-writers. Um, yeah. I've got every single one of and they're all hardcovers, too. So um, and that was some of the biggest compliments I got when I first started writing. They're like, well, this is kind of I kind of feel some Clancy in there. And I'm like, well, hey, I'm not Clancy. But to get that compliment felt really good because that's who I read so much of as a teenager. And when I started to write, it's like, well, what do I want to do? I want to do what Tom Clancy did. But. What I did was instead of going down the Clancy path, by that point, I had been very familiar with the other guy that's up here, too, which is Vince Flynn. And I think Flynn took the best qualities of Clancy and shrunk it down. And so instead of having, you know, a, a, a 10 page chapter on how the aircraft carrier work, Flynn gave you one page on the aircraft carrier and you got to boom, boom, boom. And he, you know, he just did it sexier, basically. Yeah, basically, um, Mitch Rapp was just refined and just uh, just focused. Yeah, it was yes. just focused on Mitch. You know, Absolutely. And, yeah, it was tight. Which um, then years later, after Vince dies, um, I get in contact with Kyle Mills um, and in somewhat regular contact. I, you know, talk to Kyle. It's like, OK, how cool is that? I was reading Vince Flynn books, you know, when I was in college. And here now I have an inter I have a line of contact or uh, with the guy that's writing the Vince Flynn, the Mitch Rapp series. And again, that I think that should be hope to everyone out there is, you know, you, you get into something and you think, man, all these, all these people are on this ivory tower that I can't touch, especially when you get in the writing community. No, if you get a contact with some of these folks, um, they'll be helpful. You know, you might be able to get a blurb from one of them or at, at least, and the one person that's on this side of me who has been the kindest person to me of all of them um, is Brad Meltzer. 
Meltzer and someone had told me years ago uh, when I was first getting into this and going to Thriller Fest, I'm like, I've been interacting with Brad Meltzer. Is, is he as nice as he seems or am I just misreading that? And they're like, no, Brad is the real deal. He's as nice as I, I was in uh, South Florida a couple weeks ago for a Shinedown concert. And so I emailed him a week or two before I said, hey, I'm coming down. I knew I knew where he lived. And I said, Man, I'd love to just meet up, have coffee and whatever. And he's like, oh, I'm with my my son has a, a robotics thing in Naples. So I won't be there that weekend. So so, of course, when I came out of lunch, I was in South Beach. You know, I sent him a message said, this is what you missed out on for lunch, you know. And, you know, he sent me back a ha ha, you know, hope you're having a good time. But, you know, someone like him that for years I was just like, man, Brad Meltzer, he's he's yeah. achieved that level and he writes that stuff that I love. And, you know, he took a book, he, he bought a copy of The Body Man himself and took a photo and posted on social media. And, you know, he put a post out there and Ransom Daughter came out on all his social channels congratulating me. And it's like, man, that means a lot for someone that's a fan of writers to then have that interaction where they support you um, is is really cool about this this industry. Yeah, it's uh, it's funny that guy um, Meltzer. I uh, just commented on one of his posts once on on Instagram, and I think it's like maybe like I don't know after I was on Instagram for like two months, and uh, he actually texted, he actually posted, you know, replied, and I was like, wait a minute, I was like, seriously, that guy, that guy reads his own stuff. I'm like, yeah. it was just, it was just cool, it was, and it was very nice. It was like, I was like, man, that's a, uh, yeah, I was like, that dude's cool. But it was like the first uh, first interaction I've had, I've I had had with somebody of that level i was like that man, level, they, yeah. they got that guy actually has a time to to respond to people i was like man I, I don't know but it was just the introduction to the author community it's just gotten better from mm-hmm. from then on yeah um, it's a great it's a great community can't say enough good things about it yeah yeah absolutely but uh i've had john for like an hour man and uh and i you know it's a tuesday you night. got family go go, go, go spend <laughs> some time with your boys i actually have another podcast in about an hour and a half nice i just got well, double booked tonight which is a blessing i'm totally yeah, that's, so uh, actually i'll make like some that. dinner and <laughs> and then had, get ready uh, for the next one yeah i had one uh, a couple weeks a couple weeks ago where it was uh, i was being interviewed at like two o'clock and then kicking off uh my my podcast at six o'clock and i was like <laughs> I was like, this is kind of fun. It's like flipping a coin in the middle of the day. <laughs> but you, you get to be on both sides of the uh, of the of the hot seat, basically. So yep. And uh, but thanks again, man. And uh, no, your thank socials, you. uh, your socials and uh, site website. Yeah. So my website is ericpbishop.com. It's just my name. P stands for Paul, whether you're a Beatle fan or a fan of the Apostle. Uh, so ericpbishop.com will get you everywhere. And if you go to if you go to Amazon and you just type in Ransom Daughter or Eric Bishop. Um, Ransom Daughter's going to pop up. And uh, yeah, I'd love love the support. Love to hear. Uh, ratings and reviews really help. That's the one thing. And I've been very fortunate to get a really good turnout with the body man. And Ransom Daughter's already starting off pretty well. And uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm grateful. For the support I've gotten, you know, just it, you deal with imposter syndrome when you do this. And like, man, should I really be doing this? Do I really know what I'm doing? And then, you know, when you get people that aren't family and friends to be like, damn, that's a good story. You're like, Okay, I don't think they're gonna lie to me because they don't they don't owe me it. They don't know me anything. They're not trying to get on the aircraft carrier with me or you know, get the Tom <laughs> right. Tom Cruise deal going off the mountains together, you know. It's like so yeah, but yeah, that, very, that very, imposter very syndrome, that, that imposter syndrome just sneaks up on everybody. And it's, it uh, does. It's a tough one. That's a that's a constant fight. But um whether it's your I'm, first book or your 20th, I've taught I've seen a lot of interviews with authors that say, man, they still struggle. And it's like you've sold millions or hundreds of thousands, but probably millions of copies in your life, and you still are like, Man, I don't know if I'm any good at this. And you're just like, <laughs> and I think that's good because I think it keeps you hungry. 
I think every time you're right, and then it's like, man, I've got to be good because we have a very discerning, you know, maybe 50 years ago, you could write crap and there wasn't as many people out there that were gobbling it up or that could, you know, there wasn't people that could reach out to you and be like, you suck. Um, you know, there was no way yeah. of now you write something bad, you're going to get a DM or you're getting an email from someone that says, ah, uh, this isn't right. Or, you know, that Troy Evans seems like, you know, kind of a, kind of a dick, you know, <laughs> Thank you. Then I wrote what I was. No, he's actually yeah. not. So I was, the jackal. I was thinking, the jackal is kind of a dick. That's so. who I was yeah. just gonna say. I was like, if anybody is gonna go sideways in that crew, it's a jackal. <laughs> but maybe he is the most. Maybe we'll, yeah. I did an interview, a print interview recently, and they're like, "What was your favorite character to write for?" And I was like, "You know, it was. I loved Troy, and Troy is a part of me. He's the first character I ever wrote for a full lot novel. But man, I like writing the jackal. It's like what? Are, what yeah. stupid stuff because at the core though which is not developed yet in this story but it's going to develop in the future stories of he's a really good guy he just happens to be really sarcastic and really say the wrong things at the wrong time so. and those are the best kind absolutely he's fun to write <laughs> yep but uh, i can't recommend uh, ransom daughter or body man enough but uh, you guys are going to love how it begins and the end is uh end's going to blow your mind it's uh, it's you. just a great it's a great start and i i appreciated troy man and thank you for joining me Thank you for having me on, John. I appreciate the kind words. All right. Talk to you later, everybody.